biggest obstacle and hurdle to, to most prospective student athletes now is is having realistic expectations or aspirations or hopes and dreams about what their college experience is going to be like. You know, looking in the rearview mirror from your experience in college, it's not going to be about what conference you're in. It's not going to be about what division you played at. It's not even going to be about what scholarship you were on. It's going to be about the people you were around, uh, the players and coaches you were around, and, and if you got to play and the experience that goes along with that. You've got to love the work that goes in, in, into the game because not everybody's going to love the 0 for 4, but you've got to love to go into the cage after that and, and try to improve yourself after that happens. Fellas, 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 welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we're here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. This podcast is brought to you by our partners over at Rapsodo. Measure to master. Rapsodo brings powerful insights into every pitch. They help players and coaches improve their performance through real data. On this episode, we sit down with Chris Prothrow, assistant coach and recruiting coordinator for the University of South Alabama. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Coach Prothrow. Welcome back to the Farm System. We're here with Chris Prothrow, Assistant Coach and Recruiting Coordinator for the University of South Alabama. Coach, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the Farm System. Yeah, glad to do it, man. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Well, yeah, Coach, a big reason we want to have you on is, again, we're again being holistic. We want to kind of hit it from different angles. You know, uh, recruiting coordinators uh, definitely bring in a great characteristic in that way of, you know, helping not only players, but also to other coaches and, you know, you know how hard it is to recruit. So picking those brains of, uh, you know, recruiters across the nation definitely helps uh, our listeners and helps uh, Bo and I uh, as well. So, Well, yeah, uh, any way I can help, I'm looking forward to our discussion and, and hopefully I won't make you guys look bad. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And as we get the show uh, kicked off here, Coach, can you give our listeners a little background of yourself by taking them through your journey to get to this point in your career? Sure, absolutely. Uh, at a high school, I uh, signed and, and played for two years, registered one and played for another at Northwestern State University and ended up transferring from there after an injury to junior college and, and finished up playing at Arkansas State University in the Sun Belt. And, and from Arkansas State, went directly after I finished playing. I went directly to the, the, the junior college level up at, in Iowa at North Iowa Area Community College, coached there for two seasons. And from there, ended up back with my junior college head coach at Nickel State University in South Louisiana. I was there for eight years coaching and, and kind of on both sides, recruiting, pit, coaching pitchers and hitters. And then after Nickel State University, I spent the last three and a half now years, this being my fourth year, about to start my fourth season here at the University of South Alabama. That's awesome. Well, you know, uh, Coach, now that you've kind of been around some different parts of the, the nation and different parts of different schools, when you look at South Alabama, what are some things that you think sets uh, their school apart from other schools in the nation? 
That's such a good question, and I think the first answer is how fortunate we are here at, I guess, what would be considered a mid-major university or mid-major baseball program to have really the resources of a Power 5 school. Uh, you know, our administration, our president, and, and especially our athletic director, Dr. Joel Urban, have put us in a situation where, no, we do not have an unlimited budget, but we definitely have the resources that we need to do what we want to do, and that's, you know, obviously win a bunch of games. Uh, that starts out at the recruiting, from a recruiting standpoint, the the resources we have allow myself and, and the rest of our staff that, you know, it really is a team effort recruiting, especially here at South Alabama, it really anywhere, but especially here. Uh, it allows all of us to get out and do what we need to do and trying to identify and evaluate uh, prospective student athletes. And then once we get them here with the resources in our compliance office, the resources in our academic advising with, uh, with Cody Crisp and some of those guys, we have what we need. And especially from obviously your baseball facilities and, um, you know, equipment and all of that, we have the resources we need to, to try and do what we're trying to do. And that's, that's win games, uh, develop players, obviously graduate players. And, and we're trying to get to the college world series. Yep, absolutely. And when we look at your role there um, as assistant coach and recruiting coordinator, can you give us some insight into what your schedule looks like and then how you manage the roles that come with your recruiting responsibility and then your on-field uh, responsibility? Sure. So I think to answer the second question first, I, with with Coach Calvi, our head coach, and also with Alan Lucky, our, our volunteer assistant who, who does a lot of things that your typical volunteer doesn't do and has a lot of responsibilities that your typical volunteer does, doesn't have. Um, all three of us kind of work together to work with our offensive players, our position players. Uh, that's by, as, a, as team offense is concerned, as, as also as well with hitting. Uh, we all work together with those guys instructing their hitting, and then I work with our catchers and kind of bounce around a little bit with our infielders and, and our outfielders as well. So that's the day-to-day here. Uh, but like you said, my, my primary function here is as recruiting coordinator. So that means pretty much from March 1st to, you know, roughly November 10th or so, the the last Sunday before the second Wednesday in uh, – in November, it's uh, you know kind of Katie bar the door. We're out, out on the road, uh, and spending some nights in hotels, and spending some days at, at, and nights at the ball field, trying to find guys that can help us, you know, make our program better and help us win. Sounds like uh, you get a lot of sleep, huh, Coach? Uh, you know, I don't know about a lot. Of sleep. <laughs> I've got a three-year-old and a five and a half month old at home, so when I'm home, I get barely any sleep. And then on the road. Um, <laughs> No, no, you don't, you don't get any sleep. You're, you're, you're either driving, you're flying, you're on the phone, you're, you're worried about the guys back home that you, that you were able to sign and you're, you're trying to make sure they're doing what they need to do while trying to find them teammates. And um, It's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job. There, there are obviously some days off like we were talking about before we went on the air, uh, but there's not a lot of them. It's, uh, it's busy, it's fast-paced, and it's, uh, it's a year-round deal. This recruiting thing never stops. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and one thing, you know, we we look into, especially from the athlete's perspective, what do you think is their biggest hurdle when it comes to being recruited? Biggest hurdle I think an athlete has to, to being recruited, it, it used to be, you know, get out and be seen. It used to be get on campus of, of some of the schools that, that you were interested in to make sure you were on coaches' radars. Uh, but to, uh, in this day and age, there's a lot of people – working a lot harder and smarter than I am, and we work pretty hard. You know, the coaches are getting out, and they're doing their diligence as far as going out and trying to find players. I think the biggest obstacle hurdle to, to most prospective student-athletes now is is having realistic expectations or aspirations or hopes and dreams about what their college experience is going to be like. 
And when I say that, no, I'm saying that from from my own personal, you know, my perspective. Where I grew up, I grew up wanting to be at the big state school and in the state that I was from. That's where I wanted to be. That's where I wanted to play. The bright lights, the the, the fifteen thousand people, whatever, on down the line. That's what I wanted. But now I look and I see from being on both sides of it as a player. And as a coach, it's so important for the conversation to be had with all of these prospective student-athletes that you can have an outstanding experience no matter what level of play, no matter what location in the country, no matter what conference, whatever you may, you know, however you want to define it. There is a place for everyone, and there's a great experience waiting for everyone at that place, if that makes sense. And I think that's the some of the things that get lost in the shuffle that, you know, in this day, in this age of social media, when guys are tweeting out how many offers they have, and and when they're tweeting their commitments at the age of 13 or 14 years old, I think it's easy for young people to to only see the best and quote unquote what may be the biggest, the best, and the brightest lights. But at the end of the day, when you look back 10 or 15 years from, you know, looking looking in the rearview mirror from your experience in college, it's not going to be about what conference you were in. It's not going to be about what division you played at. It's not even going to be about what scholarship you were on. It's going to be about the people you were around, uh, the players and coaches you were around, and and if you got to play and the experience that goes along with that. Uh, it's not going to be about the facilities. That's one thing we used to say at, at Nichols when I was there when we were working to get the facilities better is it's not about what, what buildings you're in or what the buildings that you're in look like. It's about what goes on on the inside of them. And, and I think that's the biggest I don't know if that's the way to answer the biggest hurdle or, or, or obstacle. I, I think it's the biggest misinformation that's out there for recruits at this point in time. Because everybody, you're pretty much, if you're playing baseball, you're going to get seen if you're good enough. Uh, but I think it's having, you know, realistic expectations, but also having, you know, the, the correct expectations and aspirations of, of where you're going to end up or where you can end up and what kind of experience you can have there. Oh, I think that's a great point. It's not always about, um, you know, the best program that's recruiting us, but the best fit, uh, you know, where we fit into the program. So I uh, appreciate you opening that up for us. Now, I want you to give us a glimpse into the thought process when you're on to a kid. Uh, what are some of the biggest indicators you look for when you're evaluating a player's future ceiling or upside? And so when we initially identify or are trying to identify a player first, the first thing that's going to get you seen is what you do out on the field. So for us, when we're watching a player on the field, we want to see really three things. We want to see how athletic they are. We want to see how fast they are. We want to see how strong they are. Hopefully, they have at least two of those three attributes pretty well down, pretty well nailed down. If they're pretty athletic and fast, we're hoping they can add some strength. Or if they're pretty strong and pretty athletic, hopefully they're at least an average runner. So we're trying to – those are the three things that we're trying to put together, athleticism, strength, and how fast they are. Can they run a little bit? Uh, and, and we want at least two of the three, like I said. So that's before we even really start to talk about size. You put together some size with a, a potential student athlete that has those three attributes, then you're, re- you're really talking about, you know, probably a pretty good prospect that, that we're going to be fighting all kinds of people to recruit uh, and, and evaluate and do all of those things. Uh, but for us, I think what sets us apart a little bit is, is that's just really the start of it. So we see those three things or hope to see those three things. And then we start to do our research and, and try to find out some intangible things about a prospective student athlete that, that maybe you can't see, at least not at first glance when you watch them play. And that's, you know, what's their work ethic like? Do they, do they love not just playing baseball, but do they love the work that goes into it? Because we all know that our honest phone call, 
often for myself, uh, I know how hard it is because I wasn't a very good player, how hard it is to play this game. So you've got to love the work that goes in, in, into the game because not everybody's going to love the 0 for 4, but you've got to love to go into the cage after that and, and try to improve yourself after that happens. And then really and truly, this is one of the most important things we've tried to identify after seeing those three physical attributes and then do they like to work is does it matter to them to win? That, that's a big, big attribute that we're trying to identify in our prospective student-athletes and our recruits is, are they competitive? Do they get pissed off when they lose? Is When they're playing ping-pong in the locker room, are they thinking about throwing a paddle at their teammate if he beats them? You know, I mean, obviously, you want guys that handle losing well uh, because it is a part of the game. We're not, we're not ever going to be here. I'm not ever going to, I don't believe, coach a team that goes undefeated. you got to learn how to handle it. Uh, but we want guys that hate it at the same time. And, and do do they really, really, at the end of the day, want to win? Does winning matter to them? I think that whole picture together is what's going to get us on a, a prospective student-athlete, what's going to get us to continue to begin recruiting them, and then ultimately try and sign them and bring them into our program. That's awesome. That's some great insight. And uh, when you're looking into that, um, and you kind of look at different levels of play, when you look at high school athletes or you look at junior college athletes, what makes recruiting those different age classes um, so much more difficult? Well, I'll start with high schoolers. I think the most difficult, and, and, and when I speak about this, I'll obviously speak for myself. The, the most difficult thing for myself and, and a lot of recruiters and evaluators that I've spoken with is just it's become such a, a game of projection. Uh, a really good friend of mine who's a scout for a while with it, with the Houston Astros organization he used to kid with, with his college coaching friends all the time. He said, hey, Coach, we, we draft them when they're 18 to 21, and we get most of those wrong. I don't know how you guys can watch 13 to 16-year-olds and act like you're going to get it right. And, and <laughs> a lot of the ways he's saying that, he's kidding, but he's right too. Uh, it's such a game of projection, especially the way things are going now with a lot of these bigger schools committing eighth graders and ninth graders, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old young men that you know, hadn't played a high school game yet, haven't gotten their driver's license yet, haven't, you know, done a lot of things in life that would you'd like to be able to observe them doing to be able to have some information to make a decision about them. Uh, you got, you're, not, you're not guessing, but you're making educated projections on where they're going to be, and that's difficult. You know, for, so for the high school player, that's, that, that can be tough. So that's where you go back to some of those things we talked about in the last answer is we, we try to narrow it down. Is he athletic? Is, is, is he strong? Or does he have the potential to be strong? Are there some markers, you know, physically that show that he might add some strength as he gets older? And, and, and can he run? Or will he be able to run? Those types of things that you try to evaluate. And then you do the best you can with the makeup and, and, and talking to people who know him or who are around him and, and try to answer those questions as well. From a junior college perspective, you know, you get to see a little bit more. They play a little bit of a higher level. You can compare them against, you know, the same age, the same ability level. And sometimes at the junior college level, it's a very high level of ability that you're getting to compare these guys against and, and have some statistics from and, and, and more information really to, to make a more educated decision about what you're going to do. So really the difficulty in, I guess, projecting a junior college student athlete is, you know, how you try to project how are they going to handle the rigors of, of the academics at a four-year level? You know, how are they going to handle the day-to-day -day schedule schedule that our guys have to go through? It's a, it's a little bit more regimented. You know, how are they going to deal with that? And they're usually going to have more freedom where most junior college players live in dorms or, or at least apartments on campus. You know, some of our guys are spread out across 
a fairly good sized town. They're they're on their own. They have freedom and and then in the spring it's a different environment that they're gonna deal with. They're gonna be playing instead of playing in front of fifty people, they could be playing in front of as many as five or ten thousand and obviously the, the level of play goes up a little bit. Uh so those are the things you're trying to figure out with the junior college prospects. So both of them are difficult uh to be good at evaluating them and, and, and that's why there's so many mistakes made by recruiters and evaluators that are way better than me. It's difficult to project those things. But the junior college prospect on the whole, I think, gives you more information to make decisions. And that's why it's, it's usually, you know, they, they tend to have more of a an instant impact when they step on campus at, at most four-year schools as opposed to the, the, the first-time freshmen. That's interesting. And I, I always like to ask this question for guys that recruit often. Uh, what are some red flags that can get players ticked off your list? I think the, the the first thing that'll get that'll that'll get you noticed in the wrong way is uh, is disrespect to to a teammate, disrespect to an umpire, disrespect to an opponent, disrespect to how you're playing the game, disrespect to your parents after a game if you happen to you know be around a, a young man that's with his parents after a game. Especially this could happen obviously at the high school level with the way these travel tournaments have have been set up. So any any type of of disrespect and that's and that's such a, I know, such a broad term, but I think we all know it when we see it. We want guys that, that do things the right way. That doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. That doesn't mean that you have to run hard every time. That That's a trait that can be learned. I, I don't think, you know, it's being taught enough early sometimes, so sometimes the college coaches catch catch some, some guys that we have to teach how to play the game the right way, but I think these young men can learn that. It's the other thing is that it's the people skills, it's the the disrespect or, or or whatever you may you know however you may want to quantify that. I think that's the first thing. Just just we try to find guys that have some respect for the game, the people around them, and, and how they go about their business. Most of the time, when that is in place, at least I feel like you can you can have the mistakes that are made by young men 15 to 23 years old that are going to continue to make mistakes for the rest of your life. Those, those are mistakes you can come back from when they have a little bit of respect ingrained in them. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And I, I'm going to put you on the spot again. Sorry to do it to you, but when you're Sorry. talking about some of the, uh, that respect and immaturity, how do you decipher, you know, some of these high school kids are pretty young. So how do you decipher, you know, maybe they're just a little bit immature versus uh, this guy isn't going to fit in the program. I think the best way to do that is, is to continue giving guys the benefit of the doubt until you see, have enough information in front of you that, that's answering that question for you. Whether that's if a guy breaks his wood bat over his knee after after an at-bat at 14 years old, and and then you do some research on him and find out that, you know, he's got a little bit of a, of a temper, but, you know, he's also doing things right at school, and, and his teammates love him, and, and his coaches have nothing but great things to say about him, then he just made a mistake, whereas – you know, you, you continue to follow somebody and they continue to, to show you what what their character's like and, and what their respect level, where that is. I think that's the best way to do it is you try to move as fast as you can in this evaluation process and in this recruiting process, but you try not to get in a hurry. You try not to make mistakes based on trying to move too fast or too quickly. And I think you lean on people that that you've had relationship with for years, whether that's a travel ball coach or a high school coach or a junior college coach or a scout in an area that can help you, you know, dig a little deeper than maybe what you see on a Tuesday in July from a 14 year old that you don't really know what's going on in his life at that time or at home or, 
or at school or whatever the case may be. You try not to make snap decisions as much as you can to where you try not to box yourself in the corner with a bad decision. And that can be it can be just as bad to walk away from from a prospect or a prospective student athlete based on bad information uh than it can be to sign one. You know, either way you try to do the best you can by by paying attention, by working your resources, by working your sources that you trust, and by what you see, and you try to see more, as much as you can before you make a decision. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for opening that up. You you handled the curveball like a champ. <laughs> um, <but laughs> well, I couldn't do it as a player, so. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, let's transition now to when you have the kids on campus. You guys are into the routine and the swing of things. Uh, what does a day of practice look like for you guys, and what's something that you guys do different than some other schools? I think what I've noticed most about what we do different or as good, I guess, as any either program I've been a part of or a program that I've had and not the opportunity to observe is our practices and our program, really, the the process that we have in place, and it starts with our head coach, obviously, and filters down to the rest of us, is, is very, very simple. It's very uh, organized and it's very efficient. So for us, a practice day, if it starts at two o'clock in the afternoon, which most of them do, if we're still out there at four or four fifteen, you know, something's going on. You know, there's either something that's need to be retaught or there's someone's attention that needed to be grabbed or, you know, something out of the ordinary is happening. We, we have crisp practices. We have quick practices. Uh, we're not interested in monopolizing our guys time. Uh, from a practice standpoint, we're, we're going to get them in, we're going to drill them, we're going to give them the information that we feel like is important uh, that goes on to winning baseball games like we talked about earlier, and then we're going to get them out. So that's one thing I've noticed with this this crew is that our guys understand completely that, and it starts with our head coach and filters down to the rest of us, that if we're practicing it, it's important. We're not trying to waste their time. There's zero fluff. There's zero extra in, added in there. We try to practice things that either are going to happen in a game or are things that what we're going to do in a game that are going to help us win, if that makes sense. So we're not going to practice an offensive play, for example, that we're never going to use. We might practice three different things in team offense one day. Our guys know that they're going to be staples of our team offense in the spring or, or later on in the, in the fall when we have a scrimmage or when we're, or when we're doing – an inter-squad game, whatever the case may be, our guys understand that we are not going to do anything that's going to be a waste of time. If we're practicing it, it's important. It's probably going to happen in the game, and we need to be prepared for it. And it's been easy to get buy-in from that, and our guys aren't really worn out. Uh, we, and that's what we try to avoid is we try to avoid having both a mentally and physically tired team. I know Coach Galvey says it all the time. He used to say that Coach Tanner at South Carolina, he'd say all the time, he'd go, Mark, a tired team is a bad team. We try to avoid that on both ends, both mentally and physically. Yeah, those are also really great points. And when you go into, um, you see kind of how the the trend of the game is going right now, definitely with technology and a lot of different, uh, you know, schools and different, you know, even Major League Baseball, some different ways they're utilizing technology. How would you say that your school utilizes that technology uh, when it comes to player development? Well, that's a, that's a good one too. And and what we try to do is we try to maximize our use of video as much as we can. We are not currently uh, using uh, FlightScope, Rapsodo, TrackMan, anything like that. I know we're in talks. Uh, with one of Coach Calvi's buddies down in Florida about joining in on one of those. Um, we're not currently using any of that, uh, but we do use some video and some software that goes along with that. I, I will, 
we've we've been fortunate enough to have some uh, some pitch recognition software system that we've used with our guys over the past couple of years that has really helped. We feel like from an offensive standpoint, as far as learning uh, learning strike zone awareness and, and being able to be aggressive to pitches that we can drive, and and we've had a lot of success over the last couple of years. Our walk numbers have been very high. Our slugging percentage numbers have been uh, fairly high. And this is when you you know compare them nationally. Uh, and I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, with some video, obviously, we'll video in-game swings and in-game and in-practice swings uh, to help with some instant feedback with our hitters. And I know that our, our pitching coach and the rest of, uh, of his staff, they do a good job with video and and, and some things that are, are help from an evaluating and teaching tool and process as well. So uh, synergy is a big thing we use as far as in-game stuff. We'll, we'll be able to break down pretty much all of our guys at bats, uh, both from a pitching and hitting standpoint. Uh, pretty quickly in season, and that's been good for our guys to see themselves. It's it, it's always interesting to see how guys learn and, and and what's the best process for them to be able to do that. Whether that's a, a process of being able to feel it, and you got to make sure that the words you use are correct when you're trying to to help them find their best way of doing something, or it's if a guy that needs to see it, or if a guy needs to hear you over and over again, or he needs to be able to talk to himself about something over and over again. There's obviously a lot of different ways guys learn, and we try to do the best we can through the use of technology to give them some different avenues to be able to do that. Yeah, that's good, man. Technology is quickly becoming a key part in today's game, so we appreciate you opening that up for us. Um, now, we have a lot of young coaches listening to the show, so for this next question, I want you to think back to when you first got into this coaching gig at Northern Iowa. What advice do you have for those young uh, guys listening in? I think the the word you said a couple times in the question is is the most important one, and I think the best way for anyone to be to learn to to become a better coach or a better player or whatever the case may be, whatever you're trying to improve in, uh, and that's that's to listen. Uh, Seth Thibodeau at, at Nichols State University, who was a head coach when I was an assistant there, used to say all the time that listening was a tool. I thought that was awesome to hear him say that. that the guys needed to have, if you had a sixth tool, would listen and be one of them, you know. Um, there will always be a time, wherever that may be, maybe it's an interview uh, for a position, for a job. There will be an interview like you and I are doing right now on a podcast, or maybe you're presenting at a convention. There will be a time uh, to be able, or when it's important to be able to impress or, or show people what you know. Uh, most of the time when you're doing that is when you're playing. You're showing people what you know as a coach about how your players perform or, or go about their business. Uh, but the rest of the time is probably important, and it always has been important for me. Uh, I try to do the best I could at least, is to be listening. There's always someone, there's a conversation somewhere uh, where somebody knows more about something or a certain subject than you do. And if you just pay attention, you know, you could probably pick something up, whether that's behind home plate and you're recruiting at an event or you're at dinner at an event, after an event when there's several coaches out recruiting or certainly these podcasts are probably a great wealth of information. Maybe when other coaches are talking, maybe not so much for myself, uh, probably try to <laughs> sift through half of what I'm saying and listen to the good stuff and, and, uh, and eliminate the other 95%. Um, but it's listening, I think, is the most important thing you can do. That was what was so exciting for me to come over to this staff is that I walked into the other three full-time coaches that I walked in to work with had over 60 years of college coaching experience. I mean, if you're not learning from that by just paying attention, something's wrong with you. Um, and so that's that, I think that's the best thing to do is listen, call coaches, watch games on TV, uh, pay attention, listen and pay attention, and a lot of learning will come naturally. 
That's awesome. And, you know, uh, you, you kind of brought up a great point right there, and I'm going to throw you another. Now, since you can hit the curveball, we're going to throw you a slider and see how you do with that one. Um, I'm going to mess with that one. Um, we go ahead and tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, when we, when we're, we're, again, there's a whole bunch of wealth of knowledge uh, that's out there nowadays. Again, you have, you know, the internet, uh, you have social media, you have all these different inlets, like you're saying, um, are different ways to, you know, get all this information. Um, how do you kind of stiff through um, some of that information and kind of decipher, you know, what's going to work for you, what's not going to work for you? What are some um, kind of filters that you use to bring in and evaluate some of that information? Oh, that is a good one. I, I I try to do as much as I can as far as whether it's Twitter or Facebook or I mean whatever the case would be the internet. Um, you know I, I try to be as diligent. I think as the next coach as far as making sure you're staying on what's popular, what's on trend with our profession, with what younger people or younger student athletes, prospective student athletes uh, are paying attention to the information that they think is important to help them be better players. Yes, yeah, social media uh, itself has given a voice to a lot of different opinions. But I think, going back to the question you just asked as far as listening to the other coaches and paying attention to, especially you want to pay attention, I would imagine, to what successful coaches are doing. Uh, I think if you put those two together, if you're paying attention to what's going on, what are some of the most successful organizations in Major League Baseball doing? Okay, what are they doing with launch angle, exit velocity, and the like? Well, if if this is a $200 million payroll team, let alone a $2 billion, you know, valued uh, organization, if it's important to them, if they think it's important to, and it helps them win, well, then there's probably something in there that can help your program if you're paying attention to the right thing. So that's what I think you do. I think you pay attention to the people that have been successful are or are having success. You pay attention to to what's you know their their level of their level of expertise and what they're talking about, and you try to make it work and, and try to match match that with you know what you feel like you do well as a coach and or what you feel like you need to get better at, what you need to improve on, and and really you try to match it up with what your core foundations or values or, or beliefs are as a coach. And how it applies to what you're trying to teach your players to do, and if if it doesn't match up completely, whether you're right or wrong, uh, you, you you need to you need to eliminate that part of whatever it is that you would be trying to add, if that makes sense. So what I'm saying is, whether you believe it or not, you you better believe it if you teach it. Is what I'm saying. So I think that's the biggest thing is just trying to sift through all of the information is there and trying to take enough that you believe to your core that's going to help you and help help you help your players, and then go from there. Then you can't really go wrong if you're just trying to do the best you can. That's awesome. And, uh, again, uh, another great job of being adjustable and hitting that pitch as well. And so just because you did that, we're going to keep going with you. So – um, when we look into when you when we look into a lot of these things and we and we evaluate um, you know all the past experiences that you've had and the adjustments and how have you filtered through um, a lot of this information um, you know what are I, I'm really curious on things that you're looking into you know currently what are some things that you know you're looking into that are kind of you know you're using right now to progress your brain what are some new things that you're working through what are some different ideas that you know as a coach that you're kind of uh, looking into to further yourself. Um, when it comes to that side of things, well, I think on both sides of both on, on hitting and pitching, I think if you're not paying attention to what a lot of these organizations, both from a major league baseball perspective and then 
shoot, there there are junior college programs that I'm familiar with that are are, are taking this information, this technology, this the 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 information age and baseball is exploding. If you're not paying attention to this, if you're not getting on the forefront of this, if you're not at least being able to talk about uh, uh, launch angle and what launch angle is most conducive to hitting for a high average or hitting for a high slugging percentage or what launch angle produces the most home runs uh, on average swings or what exit velocity creates the highest slugging percentage at the major league level. If you're not trying to learn from that uh, or paying attention, you're falling behind. With the same deal with with those, the guys at Driveline or, or, or Ron Wolf at the ranch or down at the Armory in, in Florida uh, with some of the forward-thinking ideas they have as far as pitch design or, or weighted balls or plyometric balls or, and arm care. Uh, the, the old-school dinosaur baseball guy is going to filter out, uh, and, and he's going to filter out in, in, in a very fast fashion. Guys, kids that are – 12, 13, 14, 15 years old have grown up with smartphones. They've grown up with this technology at their fingertips, and and they are used to having some type of technological impact in pretty much everything that they do. And the way I don't know why we would expect that to change when it comes to the sports they're playing and, and how they evaluate themselves, how they learn, how they improve, uh, how they enjoy it, how much fun they have when they play and, and use this type of information, this type of technology. I don't know why we would expect that to go away anytime soon. That doesn't mean it's not important to be able to, to catch a routine round ball and throw it over to first base or, or square around to a sacrifice bunt when the time is right and it's called for it or, or hit behind a runner with a runner at second base and nobody out or, or fly, hit a fly ball to the outfield with bases uh, with the runner at third base and, and the infield in. All of these things can matter at the same time, I think. Um, but you have to be able to pay attention to the new things that are happening because the players that we are going to coach don't know anything else but that. Uh, so I think that's the most important is to continue to try to be a, an edu- uh, you know, a, a continuing education. I, I think that's important for, for coaches and, and managers and whatever the case may be, educators. you got to keep learning or these kids will pass us by. Man, that's so good. I'm not, I'm not sure what you're talking about, not, not being able to hit the breaking ball. You freaking knock those out of the park. Well, everybody gets lucky. Everybody gets lucky. I promise. I promise you, if I could hit a breaking ball, my batting average would have been a lot better. And I may not be sitting here. Probably still would be sitting here, but that did not contribute to to me being a coach, being able to hit the breaking ball. I promise you that. No, that's awesome, and it's such great advice and insight. Not only for you know that question, but really throughout the entire interview, um, providing audio nuggets for our listeners. And if any of those guys listening to the show want to get in contact with you. But anything that we've covered today, what's the best way for them to do that? I'd probably email. It's, it's on our website. Uh, I'll say it right now just to make it easier. It's C-P-R-O-T-H-R-O at southalabama.edu. Um, if I can help somebody, I'd love to do it. There there are plenty of coaches that I have called or emailed or texted or whatever the case may be that have helped me when they didn't have to. Uh, so if I can do the same thing for somebody else, that is uh, – that is that'd be great. I got no problem doing that. Hopefully, like I said when we started, I just try not to mess them up. Basically, yeah, I, I think my my deal is just like we were talking about with the social media and the information and everything. There's probably two percent value and ninety eight percent fluff. You just got to find the two percent in your own business. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, Coach, uh, thank you again for giving back to the game. Thank you again for you know, not only pushing uh, you know other our listeners forward, but also us forward as well. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on, and uh, thanks again.
Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Um, uh, anything I can do to help you guys moving forward, this was, uh, this was great. Appreciate it, thanks, Coach. Coach. Man, so awesome for Chris to sit down with us and we can pick his brain for a little while. This call takeaway is brought to you by Silverback Sports. Silverback Sports is the alpha when it comes to arm care and training essentials. Silverback's training products are constructed from premium materials and are designed to be durable and dependable to withstand the toughest and most rigorous throwing or training programs. Visit shopsilverback.com to see their entire line of high-quality products at very affordable prices. Also, follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to stay up to date at shopsilverback. That's at shopsilverback. Yeah, man, it was great to get Coach on the show. What was your biggest call takeaway, Joey? Yeah, uh, before we get into the call takeaway, I was going to mention something about silverback guys. Like, I know a lot of you guys are on a budget, and you know, you guys want plyo balls and hitting balls. Guys, great resource, so make sure you guys hit those up. Um, but the call takeaway for this call, I mean, the big thing I, I grabbed from him is, um, you know, really just I think it was just his mind and kind of how he thought about different things and how he, um, you know, just integrated you know, like what he did with his program and how he used information. Um, that's a great thing for me. I think uh, a lot of, a lot of times people just take information and it's not just taking information and just, you know, instantly going with it with how you received it. Uh, I think integrating it into your program and into your culture of your team and integrating into your system um, is a big component in what sets part uh, coaches apart from one another. Um, so I think that was a great thing that I picked from him, but how about you, Bo? Yeah, that's a good one. My biggest grind or my biggest takeaway was just, uh, how he talked about the grind of basically the coaching gig that we're all involved in. He was talking about prior to getting on the show about having two little ones and being on the road for recruiting and being in the office and doing visits on Sundays. But um, it's all for the love of the game. And um, I, I think sometimes it grinds on us. You know, it's we, we're always looking forward to the next job, always looking for this, always looking for that. But big times where your feet are. Um, and it was great to hear that from another high level mind. So that was my biggest call takeaway. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's great. And uh, guys, as always, uh, continue to share this episode. Great episode, too. Guys, if you want uh, to help other coaches out and you want to help us out as well, um, it's great to rate our podcast, leave a comment down there for us. It really helps us out. And also, too, it, it helps uh, other coaches You know, find resources just like you guys are doing here. Um, again, sharing our podcast, retweeting, things like that. Um, let other people know what you're listening to. Let other coaches know. I mean, obviously, in Major League Baseball right now, you guys are seeing a lot of coaches um, getting picked up from college ranks and things like that. Let people know that you're progressing um, and that you're really trying to, you know, progress as a coach and that you're kind of trying to get on the front edge of a lot of this stuff. Um, as always, you know, Bo and I will always uh, retweet those as well and kind of share your network. Uh, so we'll kind of help each other out. So appreciate you guys and from us and our partners over at Rapsodo. Until next time, Farm System out.